Welcome to the July-August edition of Voices of Experience, the National Speakers Association's audio magazine. This is Camille Valvo, wrapping up a great year as your host on VOE. We've covered thousands of miles connecting you with your brothers and sisters in the global speaking community. You truly are a remarkable tribe. Thanks to all our producers, guests, and support team at NSA and Master Duplicating. But wait, hold that applause. There's more to come, bringing you news you can use. Here's Dr. Joe Somerville with his season finale of The Real Deal. Leslie Canham of Leslie Canham and Associates for the real deal on CEU courses. Leslie, let's begin by defining for listeners what a CEU course actually is. Well, the CEU course is a continuing education unit, and CEs are generally required for professionals that need to continue their education in order to keep their license current. So, what are some examples of professions that require CEU courses? Well, medical professionals, for sure. Attorneys are required to take certain courses and the dental professionals. And how large of a part of your business are these courses? I would say they're about a third of my income. Who's your particular target market for the courses you offer? Well, my particular market is uh, targeted toward dental professionals, dentists, hygienists, registered dental assistants, and in some cases, nurses. Have these courses remained a pretty steady percentage of your business? Have they grown? Have they declined? Oh, they've definitely grown. People have really grasped the idea of taking their continuing education courses, either self-paced at home or online, or by taking webinars. That leads me into my next question. Uh, Obviously, you make these available in different formats. Give us an idea of kind of the most successful format you've found. Okay. Well, in addition to uh, on-site live seminars and home studies, I found the webinars to be the most successful format. And why is that? Well, webinars are actually considered live classroom credit without having to physically attend a seminar. Uh, People can hop on their computer and take a course real time with me as the program leader, and they can uh, actually watch the presentation on their computer screen, hear my voice through their computer speakers. There's no telephone that is necessary, and they can chat by typing in questions in the chat window. So it's almost the same as raising their hand in a classroom. Certain states, such as California, for the dental professionals, consider that to be live continuing education credit. So uh, it's the same as being in a classroom without actually having to go anywhere. Could people listen to these courses, recorded webinars later for credit as well? Well, they certainly could, but they would not be considered live at that point. They would fall back into the home study category. What do you see as the three biggest advantages in offering these courses? Well, first of all, uh, people are looking today for a way to complete their requirements, at least for license renewal, without having to take too much time out of their very busy schedules. So the home studies are very little work, and uh, they actually meet that need that people want for making sure that they're able to get their license renewal requirements. Now, for myself, the benefit is that I really have very little work involved with home study. It's actually automated through my website, so people can sign up for the home study course, uh, take the courses online. The website actually grades their uh, exam and then generates a certificate. So all I really have to do is take the money to the bank, and I don't really have to do that because it's automatically transferred to my account. 
The next, I would say, benefit of doing these types of courses, for example, webinars are a very green way for people to go. They get their required education without leaving home. They meet the requirement for having the on-site live training because a webinar is considered live. For myself, the benefit is I'm currently the only dental continuing education provider in California who teaches the mandatory required courses in a webinar format. So it's a very unique niche in itself and sort of brands me as a a trendsetter in my field. For those folks that are not computer savvy that uh, would prefer to have a paper course mailed to them, I can do that as well. It's a little extra work. I actually have to generate paper, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, address it, take it to the post office, and and when they finish their course, they have to send me back an exam that I have to grade and, and actually physically type out a certificate. So really, it's I'm finding these uh, webinars and home studies and e-learnings to be possibly the main meal ticket to part of my business income, my business stream. It sounds as if people taking these webinars, at least as recorded home study courses, provides another source of passive income for you. Absolutely. If people are interested in offering this type of course, how do they get started? Well, they may first want to take a look at the target market that they're already speaking to and see what the needs are for those individuals. For myself, it's dentistry, and people in dentistry need to meet certain license renewal requirements by taking certain courses. So once you've identified your target market, then the next step would be to make sure that you can locate a web designer or a web company that can build you a website that will support an e-learning format, a website that will collect money and dispense a product. I mean, if you think of a candy machine uh, or other types of products that you can buy on the internet, someone has to be able to actually select a course, pay with a credit card, and then have something dispensed, whether it's sent by email or whether it's a a link that they can log on to. Next, I would recommend uh, locating a webinar company if you're going to choose webinars as part of your uh, offerings and ask for help or suggestions from that webinar company on how to offer the type of training that you want to offer, whether it's going to be a live webinar or whether it's going to be uh, some other online type of course. For these courses to receive credit or to count for credit for these professionals, there'd have to be some kind of accrediting body, I assume. How would our listeners go about finding out who that accreditation body is? It would have to depend on the market that they serve. For myself, uh, in the dental industry, I would go to the dental board in my state and apply for a continuing education provider certificate that allows me to, to give these professionals legitimate continuing education units. Each person that has uh, their own target market would be able to research what it is their uh, market needs for continuing education and who the accrediting body would be. If it was uh, attorneys, of course, they could go to the state board and uh, determine uh, what it is that they need to do to be qualified to provide continuing education to attorneys. Probably the same for accountants. I know in the medical field, it's a little bit more difficult to get the continuing education provider ID or the provider certification because uh, there's a, a lot of requirements as far as the type of uh, person, professional certificates that you already have. For example, if you were a physician, you would have no problem getting a provider ID to teach other physicians. Do certain states have reciprocal agreements with other states so that their CE courses count? 
And again, that would depend on the particular market. Uh, I know for dentistry, there is a couple of national accreditation type bodies. Uh, one is the American Dental Association, uh, and the other one is called the Academy of General Dentistry. Those two bodies are recognized in all states, and uh, states will accept a provider of those particular bodies as uh, acceptable for their each state dental board's provider. What are some of your best tips for marketing these types of courses? Oh, absolutely. Continue to build up your email database. And as I'm learning, as technology advances, be searchable on the internet. Be involved with social media, Facebook, Twitter, to drive traffic to your website so that when someone goes to Google continuing education in their particular field, for example, when someone goes to Google continuing education webinars in dentistry, they might very well come up with my name and it might be pretty high on the list. Are there any particular challenges in designing or delivering or marketing these courses? I've been depending on my own email database and my own uh, actual physically mailing advertisements out from my particular courses. But I do see that uh, if you aren't searchable on the internet, it might be very hard for people to find you. With The Real Deal on Continuing Education Units, Leslie Canham. Rounding out the program this month is National Speakers Association Executive Vice President and CEO Stacy Tetchner with his industry update. Thank you, Camille. Over the last year, I've had the opportunity to speak and correspond with a number of our NSA members all around the country. It's always a privilege to find out what each of you are doing in your businesses and what is working and not working for you. As you have seen, it's been a roller coaster ride since the time we got together in New York City in 2008, right up to our convention in Phoenix in 2009. We have elected a new president, had our economy go from high to low, and seen all-out attacks on certain segments of the meetings industry that hire speakers. Yet through all that, I'm proud to see the resilience of speakers in the speaking profession. While we may not be out of the woods yet, I see this as a great time to be part of an exciting profession that helps to shape the thoughts and attitudes of so many people that are looking for hope, advice, and leadership. During the last 12 months, I had numerous phone calls and exchanged emails with a great number of you, our NSA members, and when I've been in different cities on business, I've been able to set up meetings and focus groups to find out what you value and need from NSA. Some of the things I've heard, some speakers are now busier than ever as they have focused and refined their business to meet the needs of the current economy. Others are working to rebrand and repurpose themselves to do the same thing. Some of those that are experiencing downtime have been able to use this opportunity to write the book that they've been meaning to or develop new products and services that were in their mind but just couldn't fit into their schedule. Nearly all of these speakers agreed that those who are not working to market themselves are looking at more tough times ahead. NSA is also working to better serve you based on feedback I've received, and over the next few months, you'll see that our award-winning speaker magazine continues to make great strides in becoming a must-have resource for anyone affiliated with the speaking profession. We know we have not accomplished that goal yet, but the feedback we get from each issue indicates we get closer and closer each month. We've found better ways to reach you through technology, whether it is through VOE podcasts on iTunes, the electronic and searchable issues of Speaker Magazine online, or the complimentary monthly webinar about relevant issues to the speaking profession. Our online directory is now powered by the premier software resource in the speaking profession, eSpeakers. By partnering with eSpeakers, we can now offer video options with your directory listing. 
I've also heard that NSA needs to get better at serving those at all levels of our profession. While we provide tremendous help and support to those entering the profession, there are many well-established speakers that we also need to ensure being served where they are. Over the next few months, you'll see additional opportunities to connect and learn from those at your level and in your segment of this profession. This is an exciting time to be a speaker. While some may have hit challenges in their businesses, speakers have always been able to look at each opportunity presented to them with great optimism. NSA is stronger than ever, and I challenge you to be part of helping us all grow our businesses and the speaking profession together. Are you looking for tools to take you from a good year to a great career? Then don't miss the 2009 Foundation Seminar with Nito Cobain, CPAE CSP, Lisa Ford, CPAE CSP, and Mark Sanborn, CPAE CSP. Saturday, July 18th from 9 a.m. to noon at the 2009 NSA Convention. To purchase your tickets, go to mynsa.org. Segment producer Dolores Presley uncovers more than seeds this month. Sparklers in her interview with certified speaking professional Simon Bailey. SOS, I'm sending out an SOS. I have an awesome guest if you've already heard today. I first of all want to congratulate you on your recent CSP. Feels absolutely brilliant. <laughs> That's your word, Simon, brilliant. isn't it? That is, it is. <laughs> I have been on a journey for the last 20 years trying to find my brilliance. And what I discovered, the greatest tragedy in life is not death. The greatest tragedy in life is to be alive and not know why. And there's a lot of people who never find their why. So then that led me to the next discovery about brilliance is that the greatest tragedy in life is not blindness. The greatest tragedy in life is to have sight but no vision. And it's not just outer sight, it's insight to understand why am I brilliantly here at this time in history. Now, all these brilliant speakers who are listening to us today, what advice can you give them? What is the best advice that you have had that helped you propel your speaking business to another level? First of all, you have to overcome what I call the CIC disease. CIC. And the the CIC disease is comparison inferiority complex. Because when I compare myself to where another speaker is, if I'm not where they are, they've got the book, they're getting the bookings, their phone is ringing off the hook. If I can continue to compare myself and if I am not meeting where they are I become inferior thus I create a complex for myself because I begin to mimic them and the reality is most people have to find their authentic voice and when you find your authentic voice or as I talk about finding your original voice then you refuse to be an annoying echo I love it speaking of books you believe it's good to have a best-selling book now, it's interesting. That's a great question. When I was uh, meeting with HarperCollins a number of years ago, in walks the president of the HarperCollins Business Division. And he says to me, we have Good to Great, uh, written by Jim Collins. We have Winning, written by Jack Welch. We would love to have your book, Release Your Brilliance, as a part of the fold. And I said, okay. He says, so you want to be a best-selling author? And I says, you know, I would really prefer to be an effective author. And if I'm effective, perhaps I'll be best-selling. And the reason I said that is because my original intent was, oh, 
oh my goodness, I want to see my book on the New York Times best-selling list. And what I realized, it's one thing to be on a list, it's another thing to change a life. And so many times we write books, but are we writing the book for best-selling status or are we writing the books so that those that pick them up? Well, I got an email from a guy who picked up my book after it came out in hardcover, and he said, I was in a bookstore, picked up your book, I didn't mean to pick it up, I started reading it, and he said, I just came from an AA meeting, I am two years sober, and your book just told me that I can be a brilliant diamond and release your brilliance. Well, you know, Dolores, I could have checked out right there. I could have went home, I could have kicked the bucket right there, because I realized that's what it was about. It wasn't about being best-selling, and the reality is, when I first released the book, I was like, oh my God, I gotta have a best-selling book. So everything I did was, I'd go to all the workshops, every session, pay $2,000 here, $5,000 here, here's how you get your book to be number one on Amazon. And at the end of the day, did it change a life? Did it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's most important to me at the end of the day. Changing a life. I love it, Simon. Now, speaking of investments, you said you just spent money to go about books. What type of investments have you made into your speaking? Because sometimes it can be a little expensive investing in yourself. What sure, type of things sure, have you done sure. to invest in yourself? Within the last five years of, start, uh, of being in this business, I've invested over half a million dollars in my business. I've invested in coaching. I've invested in technology. I've invested in going to work with other thought leaders to understand how they think. I've gone to conferences where I've paid two to three to four thousand dollars at a time to sit there and really understand what are the trends, where are things going. Um, I've invested in even writing classes. I've here, here, here's the whole deal. Leaders are readers and readers are leaders. So I invest in a lot of books and I read all the time. And what I realize, if you want to be a better speaker, you've got to be a better reader. Because once you become a better reader, you become a better speaker and a better writer. And when you become a better reader and better better writer, you become a better communicator. You become a citizen of the world that can go in different settings and speak almost any language because you understand how to be a vitamin, not just an aspirin. Now that you have arrived in Listen, the brother trying to work hard here. <laughs> what is one thing that you would have done differently that if you knew back then what you know now in this industry, what would you do differently? Or is there anything that you would do differently? Number one, this is a business, and I would have hired a full-time CFO I, or, or at least a person um, early on to just say, we're going to build this into a business. But then we would look at uh, what Clay Christensen talks about disruption. We would have blew up our model a little bit sooner and then put it back together. But we would have had a CFO and a strategist that I would have invested in to say, okay, how do we create the next five years and the next five years? And, and, and really think about how to continue to be relevant and build our brand. That's one thing I probably would have changed. The other thing that I would have changed is I probably out the gate uh, would have become more specific about writing books. I've written six books. I have two more in the works. But I would have focused my books in a specific area to touch a specific niche. For instance, if I worked in insurance, I would have targeted my book to the insurance market because I've come out of that market. If I worked in financial, I would have targeted my book to that market instead of being a machine gun. You know, trying to hit a lot of places and see what lands, I would have become more laser and more of a rifle, bam, and hit the target. 
Excellent. What's next for Simon? Wow, what's next? Well, after Release Your Brilliance has been out, and now our big thing is really how do we take that to the next level? So I'm extracting a little piece out of the book, a term that I introduced called Brilliant Deer. Uh, when a diamond is extracted from the core of the earth, a diamond goes through heat pressure and change. But what's interesting is that when that diamond uh, goes to a jeweler, it goes to a marker who marks where it's to be cut, then it goes to a SAR, then it goes to a Brilliant Deer. The Brilliant Deer is responsible for polishing and shaping the diamond so that it brilliantly shines from the inside out. So now I'm beginning to teach people that everywhere you go in life, personally or professionally, you are each other's brilliant deers because we rub off on each other. And here's the beauty, only a diamond can cut a diamond. So when we understand that, we realize that we're each other's brilliant deers. Hey, let's start rubbing. All right, rub, rub, rub. <laughs> <laughs> it has been my pleasure, my pleasure to interview you. And you have given us such great SOSs, Seeds of Success. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Thank you Simon. so much. Thank you. In his final VOE segment, National President and Certified Speaking Professional Sam Silverstein takes a moment to reflect and say thank you. Just returned from the CSP CPAE Summit, where 60 speakers came together to share million dollar ideas. It was an incredible experience where everyone exchanged some fantastic concepts and systems. If you ever thought of getting your CSP and haven't followed through, this event alone would be justification to move forward. After sifting through the great ideas, I believe that the main takeaway goes deeper than the business concepts that were shared. Like other NSA events, the success of this meeting was based on speakers getting together, building relationships, and truly wanting to help each other. Similar experiences happen at our fall and winter conferences and at our annual convention. The bottom line is that we must be accountable to make the effort to attend both local and national events, participate, and look to give. As we help others grow, we will grow ourselves. I know that for me, the relationships in NSA that I have built and continue to foster have made an incredible difference in my business and personal life. Yes, the convention team works hard to provide value for everyone, but ultimately it is up to us to make of our meetings what we individually want to make of them. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Camille Valvo for the excellent job she has done with Voices of Experience. The international flavor that she has created shows us all that speakers around the world face the same challenges, have the same obstacles, and ultimately must work on the same business elements if we are to be successful. Thank you, Camille, and your great team for a job well done. This year has been an incredible journey for me. I have been honored to serve you as president of the National Speakers Association. Everywhere I have traveled in the United States and abroad, I have been received with warmth, respect, and open arms. I have made so many new friends and have had the opportunity to grow relationships with existing friends. I have learned from you and I have shared information with you. I could not have asked for a better experience. To all of you who have offered your assistance, support, and encouragement, I would like to, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you. Whether we have chatted in Nashville, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Dallas, San Francisco, Salzburg, Sydney, Singapore, Cape Town, or in any one of dozens of other locations, you have impacted both my career and my life, and for that I will be eternally grateful. 
My vision a year ago was that we would work this year to be authentic, both on the platform and off. That we would continue to build a strong association, strong businesses, and strong relationships. As this presidential year ends for NSA and the next is about to begin, I hope that the message of authenticity is one that sticks. That we continue to remember that only when we are our authentic self will our audiences relate to our message and we to theirs. I wish you much success in this wonderful industry that we share. I look forward to seeing you on the platform or in the halls at NSA. And remember, keep it real. It's Randy Pennington. I'm back to invite you to join us at the Cantino Laredo Restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona on Sunday, July 19th for the Party with a Purpose. Interactive entertainment, Latin dancing, tequila tasting, Mexican buffet, and casual networking. Go to mynsa.org to purchase your tickets. The Foundation Fiesta, it's muy caliente. In this next segment, Marie Ferrugia and Dr. Joe Vitale discuss how being part of a mastermind group can keep you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Hi, this is Marie Ferrugia in Melbourne, Australia, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Joe Vitale in Wembley, Texas. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, you're welcome. Joe, many of our listeners may be aware that you're featured in the DVD, The Secret. Today I'd like to chat to you about a lesser-known book that you co-authored called Meet and Grow Rich, which Jack Canfield described as an inspiring, easy-to-follow manual about mastermind groups. That's what we wrote it for. We wanted to help anybody create their own mastermind. Great, great. Now, the concept of mastermind groups, of course, has been around for years. And, in fact, your, your title of the book is aptly coined after the ever-popular book Think and Grow Rich mm. by Napoleon Hill. Uh, and I certainly recall reading about mastermind books in that book there. Um, and within national speakers' membership globally, there'd be many people who already are involved or have been involved um, in such groups, of course, they're commonplace. So I'd like to start by asking you, what would be the three biggest mistakes that people make in terms of their expectations when they become involved with a mastermind group? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I can sum it up real easily. Their beliefs. And the first one is nobody will come. Nobody will come to the mastermind group at all. That's one of the fears <laughs> that's there. And the second one is nobody will contribute. That's another one of the fears that's there. Nobody's going to come, and if they do come, they're not going to contribute. And the third fear or belief is that no one will accept me or nobody will be better than me there. Mm. Those are the three things, and as you can hear, they're all beliefs. And a lot of my work, whether it's in my book, The Attractor Factor, or in some of my audio programs like The Missing Secret or The Secret to Attracting Money, I focus on beliefs because we don't take any actions or get any results unless our beliefs are in alignment with what we want. So I keep running across this. When people want to begin or join an existing mastermind, they've got these three things coming up. Nobody's going to continue to come. Nobody's going to like me if I come there. Nobody's going to contribute if I go there. Sometimes we can have in a group situation one or two people who stand out as kind of the key leaders or drivers um, and can be, shall we say, rather forceful as far as putting their ideas forward all the time. Well, I've been in many, many masterminds for various reasons, business reasons, speaking reasons, health reasons. 
just general goal-setting reasons. And what seems to have worked the best in my experience is to have a rotating leader. So in other words, if you have a mastermind that's six people or ten people, and in general, I don't think a mastermind should be over ten people. I think that's more than enough, especially if everybody's going to take turns. And I think having it rotate around the room, people can certainly pass if they like, if they don't want to be a leader for a particular week or for a series of meetings. But this way, there's nobody ending up being in control. Nobody is making it their particular mastermind. And we don't want the ego to take this and run with it. This is a mutually beneficial group where the combined energy and resources of everybody there makes a difference in every single person's life. If someone was thinking about starting a new group or, in fact, adding additional members to an existing group, and given your uh, you know, expertise in marketing... What recommendations would you give them around approaching potential members and how they would sell that person the idea of joining their particular group? Well, I would focus on the positive aspects that are already surfacing in the group itself. So in other words, I would talk about who's in the group and what they're accomplishing. As in any marketing offer, you want to think about what's in it for the other person. My rule of thumb in all my marketing, whether it's copywriting or writing websites or news releases, is this little refrain that says, get out of my ego and get into the customer's or client's ego. So in other words, just think about what's in it for them. If I'm considering inviting somebody to join a group, I want to point out to them that I am a member of a group that is mutually helping everybody in it to elevate their income, to get more speaking engagements, to get more results in whatever area it happens to be. And if I have a few stories at hand about somebody who's gotten a result about being in a mastermind, then I'll go ahead and say it. But what I'm telling them is that I have a way for them to increase their results, and they're being invited to it. So I'm positioning it as something exclusive and something beneficial, and I'm thinking about them. That's the takeaway point here. Thinking about return on investment, you know, with these... At the moment, everyone has greater economic awareness, shall we say, Um, Mm -hmm. and... There may not be a financial investment that the individuals make as far as, you know, attending meetings, but certainly they're committing or they're investing their time. So what are some strategies that you'd suggest so that people stay focused on getting and providing greatest value possible from each meeting? Well, I think every person that's in a mastermind needs to be thinking of the other people in the mastermind even when they're not meeting. So in other words, if there's six people in the group and, you know, one person's into golfing and another person's into playing the guitar and another person is into going to concerts and another person has the hobby of uh, close-up magic, as you go about your week, as you come across books, links, websites, resources, newspaper articles, uh, other people, business cards you pick up, share it with those people. That way there's an ongoing exchange of resources and you're always making the other people in the group feel like they belong, like they're being cared about. You know, there's a fundamental truth here is that we all want to be loved. Well, when you're in a mastermind, practice love to all the other people in the mastermind by thinking of them, their goals, their needs, their wants, and providing resources to them. They, of course, I would hope, are doing the same thing for you and for everybody else in that group. You'll create a bond of friendship that'll last forever. You'll create a bond of mutually satisfying 
business resources that is going to increase your revenue and get you more speaking engagements or every or anything else that you might be going for. But it all comes from the mutual exchange and mutual support of each other. And my final question to you today, Joe, has to do with well-established groups. Once again, our listeners are probably already in groups and they've been going for some time. But sometimes these well-established groups might need a little CPR, shall we say. Mm -hmm. You know, a bit like marriage, we get into these groups, we expect it to last forever, but the reality is that many don't. So what would be some of your ideas around breathing new life into a group that is not firing as it did? Well, that's easier than you may think, and it's simply doing things together. For example, you're in a small group. A mastermind, again, doesn't need to be very big. So there's six people in it. Maybe there's ten people in it. Somewhere in there could even be three people. But we know that as a group, it's pretty powerful. Your combined energy and resources are going to be magical in your life and get you better results. But let's take it beyond the group. Let's do things together. Let's all go to a movie together. Let's all go to dinner together. Let's all go to a comedy show together. Let's all go to a theater together. Uh, let's all do a fundraiser together. Let's all participate in some sort of group project. This will help cement the bond in a relationship that goes beyond just the, the few people in a meeting, meeting once a week or once a month, whatever it happens to be. And the other thing is, let's juice up the actual mastermind and invite speakers. You don't have to do this for every mastermind, but I don't think there's anything wrong with putting a little shot in the arm by having a speaker come once a month or once a quarter that's from outside of your circle. Somebody that's going to give a fresh perspective. Somebody that's going to do something new. It even could be a potential mastermind uh, participant. But that's not the focus at first. What you're doing here is just doing things to breathe new life into the existing mastermind. And having a speaker come in, doing things together, going out for dinner together, everybody going to a soccer game or a theater experience, all of this helps people create a relationship that goes beyond the mastermind and can be far more permanent and far more wonderful than loving as an experience. Well, Joe, on behalf of our speaking colleagues around the globe, you're in the northern part of the globe and I'm in the southern part of the globe. I'd like to thank you today for your energy and your input. You're welcome. Thank you. Our last visit with the bumbling, I mean the humble Dr. NSA, was really a bit sad. So welcome back, Dr. NSA, Professor of Professional Speaking from Oxbridge University. Your topic is obviously professional speaking. What have you been um, teaching your students? What are some key points that you could share with us? Well, I tried to talk to my students about exercise, but they ran out. Uh, I tried to talk to them about negotiation, but they tried to change the topic. Mm. I, I tried to talk to them about finance, uh, but they wanted their money back. Uh-oh. <laughs> I tried to talk to them about motivation, but nobody turned up. Uh, oh. I tried to talk to them about initiative, but uh, they, they wouldn't listen. And, and finally, I tried to talk to them about speaking, but they wouldn't stop talking. I think that's something that people in the National Speakers Association would completely understand. Yes, they would. Well, well, that's not a very good story, Doctor. Um, no, no, it's sad, really. And so I've decided to move into sociology, prehistory, and anthropology, because uh, I, I feel that, that professional speaking is not really, is not really been good. I have not served it well. 
it has been wonderful for me, but it's been a, a, a unilateral relationship. Right. Okay. Well, that's sad to hear, Dr. Nisse, but I guess you have to follow your passion and keep it real. Yes, I, I also have an interest in, in, in math and, and uh, biology and uh, a number of other biologies and isms. Uh, so, so there'll be no harm. And it's quite refreshing you know, to have a career change uh, from time to time. Uh, but, but this was really um, something that, that uh, I had an epiphany. I had a, an emotional catharsis. And I found that, uh, well, uh, being a professional, professionals, being a professor of professional speaking with no one listening to you, even that waffle and stutter and flutter and fluster there, even describing what it was that I was doing, you know, I'm not walking my talk. No, that that's correct. Well, it's been lovely having you on board, BOE. Moving right along. On Take 10 with Camille this month, I'm bringing out the big guns. Certified speaking professional, CPAE, past NSA national president, Toastmasters International and Cavett awardee, and creator of our professional competencies. A true classic in the speaking world. Please welcome Jim Cathcart. Jim Cathcart, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thank you. I'm proud to be part of the program. So tell us your definition of success. It's living fully. See, I believe every one of us has a seed within us, so to speak, of potential. And the part of that potential that we do not develop, we end up cheating the rest of the world out of the contribution that we could have made. So if I don't live fully, I don't just deny myself a lot of joy and, and satisfaction. I deny the rest of the people in the world the benefit of whatever I could have contributed. So I think success is when you're firing on all eight cylinders, so to speak, and, and you're, you're living fully, mentally, phys physically, family, socially, career, emotionally, you know, financially, whatever, spiritually. All of those are part of you, and they all deserve their time in the sunshine. That's a lovely metaphor. The seed, which becomes the flower in the sun. I love it. A platform tip. Platform tip would be be yourself. You know, like, like the theme for this year, keep it real. Just don't try to get up there and put on a show that makes you something other than what you are. Be the same person you are when you're off the platform. And work on that person all the time for the rest of your life to make him or her the best person he or she could be. Because if you are off the platform a person that people want as a friend, then on the platform you'll be a person they will want to listen to. And I think it makes a huge difference that we have integrity between the platform version of us and the off the platform version of us. Very true, very true. Well, while we're on the topic of tips, what about a marketing tip that's worked for you? Never stop marketing. <laughs> I remember in the early days of my speaking career, and we're going back 30 years now, I, I remember between airplanes, you know, when I would go into, like, I'd fly to Cleveland and I was connecting to a flight that would take me to North Carolina, 
between those flights back in the old days, I would walk over to the phone booth, pick up the, the telephone book, and look for associations or organizations that I knew probably booked speakers and call them out of the blue. Just an introductory call. Hi, I'm a professional speaker. What's that? A person who gives motivational speeches to companies. Who in your company hold, you know, puts together the meetings and, and uh, brings in speakers for them? Oh, well, that would be uh, Camille. Well, good. May I speak to Camille, please? You know, and I was doing that. I, I was always thinking, where is there a speaking opportunity? How, you know, how could I use this idea in my next speech? How could knowing this person help open some doors that would help me reach more people with my message? All right. Well, what keeps you awake at night in your business? How can I go where the market has gone? How can I be relevant today? How can I stay not just in tune, you know, like an old person understanding the kids, but not just in tune, but immersed in the same world? So it's like my, my world is filled with technology. I'm Twittering and I'm on my website and my blog and I'm, you know, I'm uh, messaging people. I'm building my social networks. I'm doing all those kind of things all the time. And it's interesting. I find a lot of my friends of the same age as me, age group anyway, who are saying, well, yeah, I don't really need to do that. That's like 10 years ago, they were saying, oh, I don't need to do email. I have people that do that, you know, and, and I'm sure that two generations ago, the people like them were saying, I don't need a telephone. <laughs> you know, I'll just ride the horse down the road and talk to Camille like I always did. In hindsight, what do you wish you would have known when you first got in this business? I look at those people, I look at what they did and, and how they stayed in one particular niche and just got better and better and better at it. And it took me 32 years to realize that what I do for a living is motivation. I'm a motivation expert. And if I had stopped trying to explain that away by saying, well, I'm a business coach or I'm a, um, a growth specialist or a, a consultant or, an, you know, whatever. Instead of all those other words, those are just subdivisions of the fact that I, I teach motivation and I do it. And if I had gotten clear on that early enough on in my career, I could have been the motivation expert. And by the way, if you go on the web to themotivationexpert.com, you get me. <laughs> so, but on, only since this year. <laughs> so do you think that that's a, a fair warning to those speakers out there who have five or six different areas of expertise? Do you still feel that niching is the way to go? Well, it's just kind of like you can slice through a, a loaf of bread, you know, that's stale with a spoon, but it's so much more nicely sliced if you use a knife. Uh, the spoon would be the equivalent of having lots and lots of topics and areas of expertise. Well, that's fine, but specialize in one of them. Become an expert at it. Well, looking forward, what do you perceive as the biggest challenge for us speakers in the future? Staying focused. I think the, the problem is people are so easily pulled off course. So if you become worth more and more and more to other people, worth more meaning that you have something they want, not just something you think they need, but something they want. If you have what they want and you deliver it at, at a high enough level of quality, then your compensation will be good. As the economy improves, your, comp your compensation will be excellent. And if you're smart about what you do with that compensation, you will be a wealthy person. Jim, other than 32 years in the speaking business, what else do you get up to? 
Well, I like to run the mountain trails around my home here in the Santa Monica Mountains, just over the hill from Malibu. And then I ride my motorcycle. Yesterday, I went out for a nice one-hour ride on, on the twisty mountain roads around here. And uh, when I'm not doing that or playing with my grandkids, I'm playing my guitar. <laughs> I have four guitars here at home and two of them in my office. And I've written a song. Would you like to hear it? Sure. Okay, I recorded this a few years ago, but I wrote it, are you ready, in 1968. Uh-uh. Yeah, after an 11 p.m. motorcycle ride, I came back and I wrote what I call Riding Free. I'm riding free, got the highway at my feet. No place to be and no schedules to meet. There's not a thing in this world to tie me down. Buses pass me by their destinations on their face. No names on me, man, I'm not going just one place. I go where I want to be, in any town. Nothing but my mood to guide me. I follow the road I like best. One week I may go to Mexico. Next, I'm headed northwest. Two wheels below me, an open road ahead. Don't need much money, cause I'm carrying my bed. I'll work one day for my bread and travel on. I'll stop there. We could be on the phone all day with that. I'm having such fun. Bravo, bravo. Thanks so much for sharing. You're welcome. Benjamin Franklin said, We do not stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. I like him. I also like how Dr. Graham Codrington unravels the power of play. Thanks, Camille. Yes, this is Next to Gen, the segment in which we have been looking at the next generation of young people and the impact that they are having on the speaking industry. In this final segment, I want to focus our attention on our own children. Recently, I was in Cape Town for the Global Speakers Summit, and I managed to uh, get some time with uh, Nikki Bush. She's a creative parenting expert, uh, a member of the Professional Speakers Association of South Africa, and uh, after having written some books and uh, run workshops for many years on the topic of parenting, having produced a number of toys and having some bestsellers in that line, she's now turned her attention to the issue of parenting on the run. And uh, this is a set of workshops and keynotes which have uh, got great acclaim in South Africa. Most of the people listening to this uh, segment are in your target market for this topic. Can you give us a, a few of your best tips for busy parents of the next generation? Graham, I believe that we actually spend more time with our children than we think. They are often around us when we're doing the mundane chores and activities that keep life, limb and family together, such as when we're cooking, cleaning, shopping, making beds, gardening, traveling, waiting in restaurants or doctor's rooms, and all those other things. Although it so sounds really crazy, these are opportunities for us to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. In essence, to cheat time by really connecting with your children while doing what you have to do anyway. 
By using these moments to really connect with our children, we can create lots of small pockets of quality time with them that can have a huge impact on the depth of our relationship with them. Can you give us some examples of that, Nikki? When you're in the car, it's so easy to take cell phone calls when you have your children with you. But I would say from time to time, don't do that. Rather play some word games. And it's also not a great idea to leave children behind a DVD player. I know many modern cars come with built-in DVD players. But you can really use that, that time as a good connection opportunity because your children can't actually go anywhere at that moment in time. These games are fun, they're educational, they provide a real connection opportunity. Always take some kind of game with you to places where you know you're going to have to wait, whether it be a doctor's waiting room or a restaurant where you're waiting for food, etc. These kids really are bright today and they get bored incredibly quickly. Many professional speakers fear speaking to audiences of young people. I mean, they certainly are exceptionally discerning as, as a group, and they will let you know whether you're any good or not. Uh, typically, as you're going through, they, they're not polite in that sense. I mean, in your experience, uh, Nikki, as a parenting expert, what advice would you give to speakers who want to connect with younger next-gen audiences? Well, Graham, I have to admit that last year I spoke to a group of 12-year-olds and it definitely was my most challenging audience yet. And I think it's because their mantra is, give me a reason and then I'll respect you. They are watching and waiting for that reason before they engage with us. Our credentials mean absolutely nothing to them. They are not easily impressed. Next-gens are also used to extremely strong multimedia and technicolor visual stimulation because they are members of the wired generation. From my experience, I would use a great movie clip or commercial upfront in my presentation to grab their attention. Then fill in your presentation with fascinating stories of real people, including yourself, especially if they're humorous, very poignant, and of course, they love to hear about adventures you have had and especially the mistakes that you've made. And then weave your own wisdom and your message in between all of that. But Graham, I think it's vital to remember to craft your presentation responsibly and carefully because something you say or do could be a turning point in a child's life. It could either open or close a door for them. And as we say in our book, Future Proof Your Child, we need to be the door to their future. Thanks, Nikki. Wise words indeed. This has been Dr. Graham Codrington for Next Gen Voices of Experience. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you in Phoenix. Not many sleeps now. I had a quick chat with certified speaking professional Linda Keith about the brilliant do-it-yourself concept available this year. Camille, some of our listeners are still deciding whether to attend the convention in July. Just some of them, though, because attendance is ahead of where we were in three of the last five years. And those conventions hit 1,500 attendees and above. So for those who are still deciding, here is the question to ask. What would convention be like if you, the listener, were on the 2009 convention committee? If you thought through just exactly what you need to know, what you need to learn, who you need to connect with, the very cool thing is no matter what you answered, guess what? That's exactly what's happening in July in Phoenix. That's because we've 
planned this convention this year to be a design-it-yourself meeting. Come to convention with intention. Think of what you need, and you will find the concurrent sessions and the main stage presenters who will help you with what you need. Fact is, though, it's not the quantity of information at convention that is so amazing, even though there's a lot of it, 70 concurrents to pick from, for example. It's not the quantity of information. It's the implementation of what you pick up. That's where this year is really stepping up. We have implementation sessions on Monday and Tuesday afternoons. One of them is called Bring Your Laptop and Get Something Done or Started. And in another one, you can bring that story or opening or closing you've been working on and actually get coaching from pros and your peers. We also are going to have some networking opportunities unlike ever before. We have something called the Business Improvement Zone. Now, this is a set of nine roundtables with flip charts and markers in a centralized location. So whenever you realize that the two or three people you're standing there talking to right then or just met in a concurrent session are the ones who need to sit down and continue with what you started, there's a place to do it. In fact, you can essentially call your own concurrent on the spot, skip the next one, and do what you need to get done in the business improvement zone. Another way we've made it really easy to be sure that you pick the right concurrent session for you is something called levels. Now, we will have icons there so you can tell, is it marketing, is it speaking, is it business? But we'll also have levels, basic, intermediate, or advanced. It's the level you're at on that topic, not as a speaker. So a CSP or CPAE might be at a basic level on using webinars to bring business in. So they'd want to attend a webinar session that's maybe basic or basic and intermediate. Someone who's brand new to NSA or even new to speaking may be a whiz at social media, so they wouldn't be interested in basic on that topic. They'd be looking for something that's advanced. Between the icon that tells you what topic it is and the level, you'll have a much better chance of being sure you are in the right room just when you need it. I know there are some people who are thinking, Linda, you're a CPA, you know more than most that the economy is tough. It's really going to be hard to come up with the money and the time to come to convention. Here's what I say to that. The economists I've been paying attention to are predicting that the at least the start of the turnaround, it, it's coming up. And the recovery might be slower than usual, but it's on the way. If you sort of stuck your head in the sand and hunkered down and tried to make it through, now is the time to pop that head back up and decide, what do I need to do differently? That's why I think a lot of people will be going to some sessions that are basic for them because a lot of us need to do something that's different than what we've done before. Now, Les, this sounds like there's going to be way too much work and not enough play. Oh, come on. First of all, NSA people don't get together and not have fun. And it is absolutely true that it's the serious players that seem to be showing up at conference. I think we had a higher, higher ratio of certified speaking professionals to attendees than we often do. But we will be serious players who, in fact, will play, and I do mean seriously. So come to convention, but come with intention. Come with the intention to get the information you need, but also to find your people, the people that will help you do what's most important for you to do next. Invest in your business and be among those of us left standing as the recession moves into recovery. Phoenix, July 18th through the 22nd. See you there. 
I was pleased to catch this speaker for my final VOE interview. She had a healthy speaking business in Australia, moved to the US with much success, and now is firmly ensconced back in Australia again. She hasn't missed a beat. Truly authentic, here she is, CSP Amanda Gore. Welcome to Voices of Experience, Amanda. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks for inviting me, Camille. So you use a lot of personal energy on the platform. How do you keep your material fresh now and and yourself fresh and authentic? I used to find uh, many times I would go on stage and I would walk off absolutely drained, a complete drained hulk. I'd be fine going on, but I'd be a drained hulk at the end of it. And I tried all sorts of strategies and I figured there was some energy sucker in the audience just sapping it out of me. But then I started to do things a bit differently. I never realized that I would get into state before I went on stage. And until somebody asked me something and, and disrupted that state once, years and years ago. And so I was conscious of breathing and doing like normal physiological things. But the real transformation came when I started to pray before I went on stage. I studied with uh, Robert Sardello in America and his wife Cheryl for a long time uh, with uh, uh, sacred service and, and uh, spirit healing. I would pray before I went on stage that I would give these people what they need. And I would try to fill the room with light. And, and I got, you know, practiced and I got better at it. And light in such a way that it would touch people and allow them to be given whatever it was they needed. And, and I would completely let go. And ever since I started doing that, I am filled with energy while I'm on stage, when I leave the stage. And um, no matter, in fact, I've, I've lost my voice. I've had no voice completely for three or four days before I have to speak somewhere. And I can get on stage and my voice comes back. I'm sure many speakers have had a similar experience and they put it down to adrenaline or something like that. Truthfully, I think that's where I get most of my energy on stage. And, and it's in my core. I, I love doing it. Sharing your passion as well is um, obviously making a difference, both physiologically, as you said, and, and um, you know what you're giving and what they're getting. So, and, and Camille, I just thought then because if anybody is is not into the the spiritual beliefs as much as I am, mm. uh, you know, you could just as easily say I try very hard to get into my heart before I speak. The heart is an amazing organ, and um, and if you come from your heart. It's, it's as if your heart connects with other people's hearts, which is one of the principles I teach anyway. And if you truly are in your heart, you will truly connect with other people's hearts and touch them in some way that you don't have any control over, really. Um, but you touch them and something happens magically for them, what they need. I know lots of speakers get letters and emails saying, you've changed my life. Well, I really don't get hundreds of them. But what I find rewarding is that I'll get emails from people where they tell me that they went and they used something that they learned and how their relationship with their child was transformed or they finally forgave their father and, and he died two weeks later, you know. I've had hundreds and hundreds of stories like that. So they are the things that really touch my heart. It's not so much you, you know, you changed my life as... I did. So I want to share this with you because I did something you told me about three years ago, and this is what happened as a result. I think I find joy in their joy, and and I find some sense of um, 
piece that I was able to be a good um, vehicle for whatever it was that they needed. Do you give me goosebumps, Amanda? Oh, well, gosh, I thought maybe I was sounding, you know, trying to sound like Mother Teresa. But (laughs) but really, when I think about it, it isn't... I don't like all the clapping and all that stuff afterwards. I try to avoid it because, really, I'm just um, trying to do my calling. And for me, Lao Tzu said, uh, when the the teacher is done, the students will say, we've done it ourselves. And, And I really have tried to live by that. If you had your time over... What what might be some things you would do differently? I probably would have um, been a little calmer and not been quite so um, stressed early on if I didn't have a lot of jobs coming in. I'd probably have a little more faith that they'd come. But I would still have spurred myself on to keep learning and keep growing and keep improving. I mean, I, my, my content changes probably 30, 40% every year, which makes it tricky to sell DVDs, but anyway. There may be people with a bit of extra time on their hands at the moment, considering the way the market is, which I believe is only temporary. So to go back to some study, is there anything you can recommend? Absolutely. I mentioned Michael Grinder before. It's um, G-R-I-N-D-E-R dot com. He is an educator's educator. He's the brother of John Grinder, who co-founded NLP, but he focused and specialized in education. And I've studied with Michael for 15 years and would keep going back because there are so many layers to what he teaches. I mean, at one stage, we used to sit in the room while he was teaching with headphones on so that we couldn't hear what he was saying, but we would have to watch what was going on between he and the audience and how he was interacting with various people, even though it looked like he was just presenting to the whole group. The other suggestion I would make, but this will be for a very limited number of people, um, Robert and Cheryl Sardello's courses, uh, they run the School of Spiritual Psychology. Um, Sacred Service is a great one and Spirit Healing is a great one. Now, they're not directly linked with speaking, but they are directly linked with coming from your heart and... um, I don't know, getting a bigger sense of what's going on in the world um, and that it isn't just about us and our teeny little place and and our little problems. Without it being cosmic or space cadetish, I just think it's a very lovely, practical, helpful way to... Um, reconnect it with what's very important to us inside and through that reconnection by you know connecting our heads with our hearts and our hearts with something much deeper and bigger than we are and then our hearts with other people we we create magic Camille this is important for them to hear if you're sitting there thinking well that's a load of rubbish and gosh she's she wasn't a space cadet before she left Mm-mm. you might want to think about being in your head and judging something and if your heart if you were in your heart would you be feeling the same way mm, very powerful <laughs> thanks Amanda enjoy oh, thank the rest you, of your Camille, day for the opportunity thank you everybody in America for making my time there so fabulous thanks mate I stood as your VOE host. I met some fantastic people and heard every buzzword in the book. There were so many great ideas. I thought I would close by sharing my top seven takeaways. Number one, write a book and don't leave home without it. It's the best marketing tool you'll ever have. And to maximize sales, look at it as a global product. Number two, every day move the needle. 
There's so many things we can do, but what activity will have the most impact or leverage? And if you're stuck, try a new model, or better yet, find someone already doing it well and ask them. Number three, get really clear on what you do. Are you an aspirin or a vitamin? What pain are you qualified to remove? Contribute or contradict, but most importantly, create clarity. Number four, to be inspiring, you must be inspired and remain inspired. We're rewarded not only for what we do on the stage, but off the stage as well. Mentally, physically, creatively, what else, what new inspiration can you bring to the table of business and life? Number five, on the platform, are you speaking and listening? Keep assessing, what did they like? What did they dislike? What was their takeaway? And then, how will you do it better or differently next time? Number six, don't go it alone. Reach out to your speaking mates. No one else understands this crazy business better and is so willing to share the pie. And finally, number seven, authenticity means be yourself. Besides, everyone else is taken. Thanks for listening. This is Camille Valvo reminding you to keep it real. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.